Welcome to Too Deep, Hokies Under the Influence. My name is Pete Berthod, and my co-host is Robbie Dowling. It's August 1st, and we're coming back-to-back weeks uh, for you with the podcast. First time in a long time. Robbie, how you feeling over there? Good. It was a quick turnaround, I'll say, to get through the next six teams and get prepared for this. So uh, getting acclimated to uh, the fast-paced nature of recording every week is going to, uh, with a new job, going to be something to get accustomed to. So it was good, though. Are you ready to record for about 18 consecutive weeks or so, give or take? <laughs> I think so. It's it's harder to go through all the preview, Matt. This is this is probably one of the harder prep sessions that I think I have because you don't have football that you've watched yet. You're just kind of anticipating football. So we're trying to get like really ramped up and it almost gets you uh, really excited without like the reward of actually seeing it. <laughs> you know what I mean? So I know what you mean. Hopefully we'll have the reward of some uh, news nuggets next week when uh, fall camp gets started. But for now, uh, why don't you give us a cheers and we'll hop into our current news and notes. So I guess uh, there's not too much to cheers about, but I'll go with uh, the next six games in the preview. And pretty soon we're going to be doing our our season preview. I think we have a fun idea for what we're going to do in terms of our um, our thoughts on how the season could go and the way that you are, you know, projecting things and I'm projecting things. So I think we're trying to come up with some new ideas to keep things fun and exciting over the next uh, few episodes as we get ready for the season. And before you know it, uh, we're going to be heading to Blacksburg and that's going to be for a few different games. You have a, a few that you're going to, I have a few that I'm going to three this year, which is probably the most I've had in a season. So I'm getting excited. So I'll just cheers to us getting close. I think we're 30 days away or so, and here it comes. Cheers, man. Yeah, it will be here before you know it, but I've already been thinking about football every day for two consecutive weeks, and so a month feels like a long time. But uh, we had a little bit of up-and-down news this week, uh, we got a commitment from a guy named Keyshawn King at the Blacksburg Bash last weekend. That's been a big event the last few years that Fuente's been here, and it always seems to yield a few commits. And this is a running back that I think we needed desperately, especially since the Devin Ford situation, the way that went down, a couple other guys. Uh, so getting a three-star running back in Keyshawn King, who's a four-star on ESPN, I was really pleased to see that. Yeah, I agree. Um, it's a position of need, so I think that it was um, it's a big commitment. Hopefully, it ends up panning out over the long term. And um, I think the Athlon Sports commentary. I don't know if you read that about the coaches' opinions, the the anonymous coaches' opinions. Oh yeah, uh, I did, love those. And it was about how we had no running game, but we still managed to win, which I thought was um, an interesting opinion from another another coach. And the bad part of that up and down was Cam Good, defensive tackle who came in in the 2018 recruiting class, has left the program. And the speculation is that it was due to him not loving the offseason workouts. That's kind of the rumor. And if that's the case, well, he probably wasn't going to last too long here anyway. But we wish him the best. Do you have any comments on that? None. Okay. Just leave it at that. Uh, 
we're also in the mix for a potential defensive lineman to replace Cam Good. And this guy, Brandon Dorless, he is committing August 2nd, tomorrow, um, which you'll probably hear this, and that'll be today. He's choosing between a bunch of good schools. This is a kid who's only played football for a year, maybe two. He's 6'3", 270, could probably fill that defensive tackle role. We'll see. Nebraska, Kentucky, Clemson, and Florida are the other schools on the uh, thing that he posted. So tough competition, but we'll see what happens. Yeah, never like seeing Clemson's name on there. So uh, <laughs> no. that's that's never that's never a fun look. But um, we'll see. I mean, uh, obviously a, a big guy, but he's he's raw. But guess what? Uh, we have had plenty of success in bringing raw players in and developing them. So we'll uh, we'll see what happens tomorrow. And finally, big news that hit today, Urban Meyer has been put on administrative leave by The Ohio State University. Uh, This is like really riveting news. And if you're following the story at all, there's been a domestic violence issue with a coach of Urban Meyer's, a guy on his staff who is no longer on the staff, and Urban basically is taking the fall for not having fired him earlier. That's the best way I can put it. The question now is, what did uh, Urban Meyer's wife know? What does Urban Meyer, what did he know at the time? And what does the administration want to do about it? So right now, it's as you'd suspect, if something heats up this much, they're going to put him on administrative leave and dig in, and we'll see what ends up happening. But it's... It's big. I mean, it's it's massive news because of how quickly it came out. I think it's also massive news because of how bad ESPN looks with the whole Brett McMurphy firing because they're <laughs> they're freaking idiots, um, evidently. And he's he's like blown up like three massive stories since they got rid of him. One of which they claimed as you know our our own Brett McMurphy right, right, after right. he broke it. I can't remember which one that was, but. Um, He's doing off of a Facebook page. He's making absolute, you know, waves in the college community um, with his his research. I always loved him, and I think he's doing you know a lot of great work in terms of keeping people honest and finding you know really good, hard hitting stories that you know help make college football more safe and better. From a football perspective, losing your star head coach right before training camp. Not the best situation, especially for an Ohio State team that is loaded up and ready to potentially win a Big Ten title this year. Um, I don't know, man. We'll see how it shakes out. It doesn't look good. He could definitely lose his job, and they might not even have to pay him based on a clause in his contract. There's there's all kinds of details out there. I encourage anyone who's interested in it to go check it out, but we're probably not going to cover too much more of it here. Yeah. No. Other than Braden Gall, who we had on the podcast, um, has um, been uh, on his Cover Two podcast very open and honest about his feelings for Urban Meyer and being basically a piece of shit, um, quite frankly. Um, and going all the way back to the Florida days. I mean, you don't go back to listen to the, the Florida stories were atrocious that came out of the program when he was running it, and a lot of those got blamed on his medical, you know, situation and just all sorts of just, you know, the Pouncey brothers. um, Yeah. I don't know. Aaron Hernandez. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. And, um, 
So I, I always pay attention to the Cover 2 podcast. I trust uh, Braden. I think he has honest opinions. And somebody tweeted at him and said, did you see Brett's story? And he goes, yeah, this was not like, <laughs> this was not a hidden rumor. That's why it shaped my opinion about him. He's been always very open about his thoughts on Urban. He thinks he's the, an, an absolutely incredible coach. He also doesn't think that highly of him from an ethical standpoint. And I just happen to, you know, kind of, uh, have somebody like that that you know I I kind of look to for that ethical kind of inside guidance on things. All right, let's get into these previews. We have six more teams to do tonight, the second half of our 2018 schedule, and let's kick it off with North Carolina Saturday, October 13th. Last year, if you're paying attention, you knew that the Tar Heels had an absolutely dreadful season. They went three and nine, won just one game in the ACC. And their S&P Plus end-of-year rating was 94th. Coming into this year, Athlon puts them at 69th. Nice. Sixth in the Coastal. And Steele has them at 45 in his power pole. So a discrepancy there. And the projected S&P for this year is 51. Their experience is in the lower half of FBS. So I'm not imagining this is going to be a great year for them. But I think it starts at their quarterback, like most teams. They've got a little bit of a question there. What do you think about their quarterback situation? Yeah, so there's they got a quarterback battle. I don't know how much, you know, it's hard enough for us to figure out what's going on in the trenches of our own program, never mind somebody else's. You got Chaz Sherratt and Nathan Elliott. Um, Chaz won the job uh, last year. And uh, when he went out and then Elliot kind of came in, it's not like Elliot blew the doors off of things and really kind of solidified himself. So the best I can tell, I would guess that it would be Surratt again, getting the, the heads kind of nod for, for the job. But that's what knows? I'm thinking. Yeah, who knows what's going to end up happening. I mean, he won it once. You'd think he'd win it again. If Elliot came in and had a rock star, you know, games when he got his opportunity, then then I'm looking at a quarterback battle. I think they're going to default back to the decision they made originally. Surratt is the bigger, better stats guy, like in a basic sense, and he's a better rusher. Um, but Elliot had the better advanced stat. He was had a 57 QBR rating. Uh, to Surratt's 44. I think Surratt poses more of a threat to us just because of his running ability. He's, I mean, and he is a lot bigger. So I, I don't want to have to face him if we don't have to. As for the running backs, they do have a decent duo in Jordan Brown and Michael Carter. Michael Carter was a freshman last year and was likened to Gio Bernard. Uh, he had 5.8 yards per carry and eight touchdowns. So he came in and made his mark in his freshman year. But the other... Uh, skill talent on the outside. The only other guy to speak of that I could find was Anthony Ratliff Williams, who was pretty amazing. Yeah. Um, and I think that, well, there's one other in terms of, um, the, I think there's an OSU transfer. Is he still coming in at running back? I'm pretty sure that Antonio Williams, that people think he could be good. So he, between him, Jordan Brown, Michael Carter, they'll probably be all right. But even if they're good at running, or if they have good running backs, uh, Larry Fedora and his offensive coordinators have found a way to screw that up numerous times. So Elijah Hood was an absolutely outstanding running back. And you remember how much we kind of made fun of them for the times that they didn't use Hood at like really, you know, uh, key points. 
Um, Those South Carolina games. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Where they just kept passing it at like the five yard line. And you're like, you have this amazing running back and we tried to recruit. But Ratliff Williams, I think will be good this year. Uh, maybe Daz Newsom is the only other player. Um, he's supposed to be pretty quick. Um, but, and then um, I think one other name that only popped up was Carl Tuck at tight end, um, who's back from injury. So he, he got injured. But other than that, I'm not, you know, let's be honest. Their offense was decimated with injuries, you know, pretty badly last year. Um, but I'm not seeing that much that's coming back injury or otherwise that makes me too frightened by this, the potency of this offense. Yeah, their their tight end, Carl Tucker, you mentioned, and then Brandon Fritz, those guys could help out a passer who who needs help in Surratt or Elliott. So maybe that's a bright spot there at tight end. But their offensive line, oh my God, it has the 127th uh, ranking from Steele, like the, the third least amount of returning starts. So I don't know. Surratt's going to be running for his life. You can't play Elliott with that offensive line. You just can't do it. Yep. I think they're in big trouble as a pass first offense and what they have out there there. I think they could be troublesome this year because I think there's probably more talent for the, in the running back core that they have now than it is anywhere else. And that's not what they like to do. Yeah. There's okay talent, but this offense just isn't going to be good. Let's move on to the defense. And, Again, there's no Gene Chiswick walking through that door. He re- retired kind of unexpectedly last year, and their defense took a drop. And I saw, found the most interesting thing. North Carolina has finished last in rush defense the last five years in a row. I found that extremely hard to believe, but I, I looked it up, and it's absolutely true. I'm not sure if they're going to be able to get out of that, maybe just because of the statistical anomaly of it, they'll be able to get out of that designation. But I don't think this defense is going to be very good this year either. No, I I think it may have a chance of, I mean, the decent, the defensive line I think could be decent. Um, Malik Carney's coming back. I think he's talented. Uh, they have a couple seniors, Clark and Dalton, a couple juniors, but so they, they bring back, seniority but i don't know if they bring back talent at the defensive line uh they're really thin at linebacker which is not going to help them at all um and we'll see what happens at the defensive back position uh they lost a you know a key corner and safety but other than that they get a lot of experience back i feel like they have the tendency other than what you mentioned which is their run defense is generally abysmal uh, they actually bring back more on the defense than they do on the offense. Um, I, I'm not sure what they're going to actually have on the offensive side of the ball. So, yeah, I don't think it's going to be anything dangerous, um, but it might be better in the offense. And maybe not the run game, but maybe the pass defense. Yeah, it's hard to say. This team, This team is really a wild card. Because of how many injuries they had last year, some of these guys played a decent amount, some didn't. I just don't know how good they're going to be. They they could win eight games, but they might also lose eight games. I have really no idea. I would agree the defense is probably a, a little ahead of the offense. The secondary should be pretty solid. 
Cole Holcomb comes back at linebacker, and that's always a, a nice plus when you get your uh, your outside linebacker, and they also get their middle linebacker and Andrew Smith back. So there might be something there. But, yeah, I just don't know. They could get to a bowl, but if you look at their schedule, they have to go to Cal in week one. They play UCF, the defending national champs. They're going to lose <laughs> they that have game. have to go <laughs> to the Carrier Dome, uh, to Durham. They get us at home to UVA at Miami and NC State. That's not the easiest schedule. There's only two gimmies, ECU and Western Carolina. And But I'm not seeing what Phil Steele is seeing, which is that 45 ranking in the power poll. And he actually put them at 36th in his preseason poll. He fin- thinks they'll finish the year as the 36th best team in college football. I, I don't see that. I think he puts a lot of... We've said this about Steele, and it's the difference between Steele and Athlon and... Um, Bill as well. Bill C, if that's better for everybody. Uh, but um, I think that he puts such a heavy weight on who's returning that I don't know what their returning numbers are, but they're probably relatively high um, in terms of just because they had so many injuries, they're getting returns from the season. They, they're four. just returning twelve starters, from what Athlon said, and like, and, and the experience rank from Phil himself was eighty third in FBS. So, yeah. it's it's not that much. Yeah. I, I don't. I just don't understand. I guess he he. The, the difference is he believes in Fedora, and yeah. that's what a lot of these the. the I don't know, experts, they, they love Larry Fedora. They were saying he was going to go to LSU two years ago, if you remember that. He, he couldn't get that job now. Um, he's just, to me, he's not that good of a coach. We've seen him, you know, on two different drives right in a row, put in Marquise Williams once and then Mitch Trubisky for three downs, and then Marquise Williams again. It's like, that's strange. That was several years ago, but, like, it's little – coaching decisions over the years that the not using Elijah hood that just add up in my head and probably yours as well. They're just yeah. like, this guy's not a good coach. Yeah. I, I, this game does not, other than being on the road, this game doesn't scare me that, that much. I, I don't see it. Uh, yeah. And we're coming off Notre Dame. That yeah. that's what scares me is right. that we could be, have just, you know, come coming down from either a big win or a, depressing loss and might not have all of our fight in us when we go to Chapel Hill, but I do think we should win. They're thin, UNC. If they have some injuries, it could be a problem for them this year. Let's move on. Georgia Tech, Thursday night in Blacksburg, October 25th. Always good to have a home Thursday nighter on the schedule. I think it greatly helps our odds of winning this game and we need to win it because Fuente hasn't beaten Georgia Tech, and Georgia Tech has beaten us three out of the last four years. I, I'm I'm tired of it, man. I'm tired of Coach CPJ. I'm tired of the option. We need to beat this team this year. Totally agree. Um, it's uh, you know even if you have Bud Foster up against them, it's inefficient. It's an efficient offense uh, and is. style, and you can make fun of it all you want. But the one thing it doesn't do is it. You don't make mistakes on offense. And if anybody can understand that, it should be Fuente because that's one of his, you know, lines that he always kind of carries around is, you know, who's going to make the, the, the fewer number of mistakes during the game. Uh, I think that the, and I hate these types of statements, but I think the team's going to live or die by uh, Taekwon Marshall 
that it's just what he does. Um, and I think a lot of the upside that people see as potential in Georgia tech isn't really upside necessarily in the program, because I think it has a lot of known quantities of whether it's the offense and the defense. The only thing they don't know is how, how good is he going to be this year? And the quarterback in that system is absolutely imperative to whether you, um, you you put out one of those ten win seasons that you know Paul Johnson somehow always pulls out of his butt, or you know you're back down to six and six or whatever the case may be. The best Georgia Tech quarterbacks have been obviously great runners, but also efficient passers. And Tyquan Marshall is not necessarily that. He completed what thirty seven percent of his passes last year. Mm-hmm. Now they also had a ridiculous yards per completion rate, which we helped them out with a ton, if you'll remember. He had two completions on us for 140 yards and two touchdowns. So how efficient, I mean, that's pretty efficient if you ask me. He was only two for eight, but if you had eight completions and you had 140 yards, that'd also be pretty good. I think he only threw like 26 passes too. (laughs) So two two of them had like 140 yards. It was something ridiculous (laughs) in how few passes he had because I looked at the stat and then I thought back to the game, and I was like, well, almost all of that was against us. <laughs> yeah, he he blew out like his stats and, and his QBR and all that stuff were greatly enhanced by just a couple games, particularly the Tennessee game, which, if you remember, they were going nuts, running all over Tennessee. They ended up losing uh, because of some bad luck at the end, but his his QBR is actually not that bad. But one, that's because of the running, not the passing. And two, a lot of that was piled up in just a couple games. One thing I read about Marshall too, is that his ABAX production last year, the ABAX being Clinton Lynch and Quay Searcy was down a ton. And that was partially because he was afraid of pitching the ball. So he, he handed it off a lot more to his B back and would keep it himself a lot. He was the leading rusher with 1100 yards but he was not as comfortable with the pitch, so he just didn't do it. Did you, and you, you caught my stat the other day that I was very proud of, which is his completion percentage last year was closer to his age than Paul Johnson's. And Paul, <laughs> did, did, Paul did Johnson is 60, so that just gives you an understanding how how bad it, it was. What was he, like 36% or something along those lines? But Yeah, 37.1. Yeah, there you go. Closer to his age yeah. than Paul Johnson. So, um, it, it, and when I started really thinking about it and analyzing it, like for even a halfway decent quarterback, that's extremely hard to do with your head coach. Uh, so I think the real question is, can he pass um, not a lot, but just well enough to keep people in check? To, to keep people honest. Uh, and what are, I think a lot of times in those programs, I like your point about his confidence in the A-back versus, you know, what they were doing with the B-back. You kind of live and buy, die by that. And I know they throw a lot of guys in the A and the B, and, you know, you, you just get a kind of a bunch of athletes in there that wouldn't fit any other program. But um, there still needs to be some threat of the pass. If you're going to beat the likes of somebody like Bud Foster, that is comfortable with the triple option that knows how to teach what you have to do and look for in the triple option. You need to have that threat of the over the top. And that threat basically is what did us in last year. 
was the yeah, two it, big it, passes over the top. Yeah. That was 14 points right there. I thought it was interesting the way Steele ranked us uh, and, and Georgia Tech for that matter. He has Georgia Tech at 39 in his power poll. Pretty sure he has us at 37. Yeah. So it, he has us basically neck and neck with Georgia Tech in terms of just the quality of the team. Now we get them at home and in a night game. So that's why he has them finishing behind us in the coastal. He expects us to beat them. But I thought it was interesting how closely he thinks, how close we are to this team. But it's hard to compare because it's such a different offense. Uh, the B-back, Cervante Benson, we need to mention, he broke out last year. 1,000 yards from him, 5 yards per carry, and 6 touchdowns. And they also have Jerry Howard, who uh, shined a little bit at that position as well. Their B-backs are in really good shape. Their A-backs, I mean, we've been talking about Lynch and Searcy for three years now. I, I thought Clinton Lynch had left two years ago. Uh, he had 400 yards rushing and four, almost 500 yards receiving. So he he can do it all, but like I said, he just wasn't utilized as much by the young quarterback. I thought it was a misprint when I saw Quentin Lynch at a back. I, I was <laughs> he's a fifth year senior, so he's not. I mean, it's not. He's not. He's not going for his seventh year of eligibility or anything to to make it to uh, that that listing, but. Uh, I couldn't believe he was still on yeah. that list. I could go back to my notes probably three years ago and I, for our, our first season of podcast, and it would probably be on there. All right, let's talk a little defense because people are thinking that Georgia Tech might actually have one this year. Now, I, I don't know if I'm completely buying into that. They're replacing their defensive coordinator this year. They're switching from a 4-2-5 to a 3-4, and... I think they were hoping that their roster makeup would agree with that alignment better. Yeah. Uh, Nate Woody is coming in from Appalachian state and I, I don't know if you went back and looked and I know it was mentioned in a couple of the preview magazines, their defense was just nasty at Appalachian state in like a, a lot of different respects. So uh, does that translate, you know, to, to, you know, what we're talking about? Um, in the ACC, I don't know, but he's certainly a talented defensive coordinator. Uh, and there's well, he's going to um, be better than Ted Roof, right? No, anybody, yeah. <laughs> but the four-two-five um, is going going to the three-four. I think it'll help them simplify things. I mean, you have to be a really you know good defensive coordinator start getting to some more complicated schemes and then it just takes a lot more to get players i mean they're not recruiting in an exceptional level level you have to have athletes in that kind of uh, defense um to keep the ball in front of you and to not you know have problems and and to to avoid you know getting in yourself in trouble so i think the more simplified defense will end up actually helping them and for teams that do not play great defense i feel like the more simplified scheme should help them their defensive line should help them, uh, mainly because they brought back a ton. Now, last year, they were 119th in the nation in tackles for loss per game and had 101, you know, 101st in turnover margin with just 10 takeaways. Essentially, they didn't create any havoc, and that's something that Woody is hoping to do, and that really starts up front with a defensive line. And since you're switching from four defensive linemen to three defensive linemen, your depth instantly goes way up. So that, that'll be a help for them. And not only that, they also are bringing a lot of those guys back. I don't think their experience at linebacker is overwhelming. It's decent with Victor Alexander and Brant Mitchell, but they have no depth there. 
And they lost a lot in the back, but do bring back, I think, both safeties. So I think their defense will honestly be about the same. It depends on how much this new scheme from Woody improves them, really, and how quickly they can can learn it. Yeah, I think I uh, agree with you. I will say that for Georgia Tech, and not to overstate this because I know it gets brought up a lot, is any improvement in defense has a exacerbated impact on the game, right? Because you're, the ball control, they take up so much time off the clock that if you can play just like it has a, a, a more profound effect than it would for another team, right? So if you're going for Oklahoma State or playing a high-powered offense, right, you'll get the ball back. And, you know, it's like, okay, whatever. If they can actually control on defense and keep the ball in their hands with how slow that offense runs, um, it has a, every small incremental improvement, I think, has an a, a expounded effect on, um, you know, what the, the overall meaning of the game and what, what's going to be happening at the, at the end. Yeah, and that whole concept has been in Fuente's head for the last two years. He, he's talked about how potentially few possessions you get. And when we played them last year, it was like coaching gaff central. Like every single drive, I feel like we had a different coaching gaff, like whether it was going for it or the play calls. And Fuente just needs to get out of his head. Oh, the third and the fourth down going for it. I can't. I almost forgot about that, and then you just remind me of everything. He needs to just let it rip this year, man. Forget that you're playing Georgia Tech. Let Bud worry about that part. Yeah. Just... You know, just act like you're playing any other team. Forget about the number of possessions. Just just do what you would normally do. Don't yep. let them get in your head. Overall, this is a veteran team. They have 14 senior starters. And just like any year with Georgia Tech, you feel like they could compete for the Coastal or they could go 5-7. and seven. <laughs> I don't they've know made the orange, Miami. they've made the orange ball like twice in the past six years and you're like wait what how is that even possible i know i know they and and they've also missed two bowl games uh over the last three years and before that they had gone to 18 straight so uh, they're they're an enigma man i they really are and every year it gets worse it seems like they get more mysterious more difficult to figure out so i I don't know what to expect. I just think the law of averages says that we'll get them this year, Thursday night in Blacksburg. Yeah. No matter what, it's going to be like it always is. We say it every single year. Everybody says it. It's a rock fight game. I mean, it is in the trenches going to be rough. They've got a tough schedule too. I, I don't, they obviously have to play Georgia, Miami, Clemson, I'm trying to see if I have their – oh, yeah, here it is. Those are three, like, automatic losses, more or less. Then they have to go to USF, to Louisville, obviously come to Blacksburg, at UNC, at Pitt, Duke, and UVA. You know, it's not necessarily a murderer's row, but Clemson, Miami, and Georgia, that's no fun. <laughs> no, and USF is not fun either. I, I wouldn't want to be playing them. I mean, that – could you come up with two Charlie Strong's new team? Yeah. Could you come up with two more opposite teams and what's going to be happening? That's good. I might watch that. I actually might watch that game just to see yeah. what's going to happen there because that's going to be crazy. It's like when you have two really different friends and they meet at a party and they start talking and you're like, oh, God, I have to see what happens here. <laughs> exactly. Uh, all right. Let's move on. 
Or do you want to take a beer break before we do Boston College? Uh, I might need to get another beer for Boston College because I'm that excited. <laughs> <laughs> All right, let's take a beer break. Pete, what are you drinking? We're going to start it the opposite way. Uh, I'm drinking the Cape May IPA. Cape May Brewing Company from New Jersey. You've probably heard of it. It's a one of the oldest seaside resorts in the country and uh, not too far from me here in Philadelphia. This IPA is 6.3% alcohol. It's got floral and citrus notes, as it's described, and that really comes through in the beer. Uh, it's very earthy, as I would say. Um, I don't know. It's okay. I- I'm not blown away by it, but I wanted to try it. I'm actually heading down to the Jersey Shore this weekend, and the can artwork is beautiful. It's got a crab on it. It's nice, a ni- nice pastel green color. So I went for it, and... I'm I'm moderately rewarded. It, it's an all right beer, the Cape May IPA. Robbie, what are you drinking? So I don't think we've had this on the podcast, and I didn't go have time to go through the list. But I was blown away that we haven't. Old Rasputin. Um, I I don't think we've ever had the North Coast Brewing Company Old Rasputin. It's a highly decorated and awarded beer, um, a Russian Imperial Stout, uh, and I it's absolutely delicious i don't get it that often they'll, they'll have it at um you know a bar every once in a while on tap usually at a place that has like a you know kind of 50 taps or something along those lines that's willing to bring in something uh like that uh heavily awarded beer over the years and uh it's out of fort bragg uh california and it's delicious um you know it's as good i think probably a lot of people would know it uh, or have it many times. It's uh, a little, you know, it's a little pricier if you want to get it on draft or something along those lines. But it's a, it's a perfectly balanced uh, imperial stout, and it's delicious. Nice. Yeah, I've definitely heard of the Rasputin, but I've never had one. Let's move on to Boston College. Saturday, November third, last year, Boston College went seven and six. That might sound familiar because they've done that four out of the last five years, and they went four and four in the ACC. The S&P Plus projection for BC is 66th. Athlon's a bit higher at 39th, and Phil Steele even higher than that at 23rd in his preseason poll and 19th in his power poll, third in the division behind Clemson and Florida State. Finally, the projected S&P Plus for this year is 48th. So somewhere in the middle there. They're bringing back a ton. Phil Steele has their experience ranked at 12th in the country and the second-ranked O-line only behind Wisconsin. So everyone on the O-line is back. That sounds like a recipe for Adazio. <laughs> ah, Adazio. So if you, are, if you are a new fan of the podcast, then welcome to my world. Uh me and Steve Adazio have gone way back for, what's this, our fourth season of previews? Uh, I don't know. Yeah, I, I, yeah. Just, I just love his uh, gritty style and the way he kind of goes about things. But um, so he... Um, the ultimate dude. He's the ultimate dude, and he, he only brings dudes around him. He has done dudes really well with a program that can't recruit can't find you know players out of anywhere. I mean, even their top players are usually out of 
New England, stuff like that. And we'll talk about one of those guys here shortly when I'm, that I'm pretty excited about, depending on which way you want to look at this, us versus them, or just, you know, Boston College in general. I think that uh, he's put a lot into the program, and this might be, I don't know if it'll be, it might be a year that it pays off for them. You know, are we talking anything elite? No. Why are we talking about a good, successful year? I think that that's on, uh, that's in the cards potentially. So they were a tale of two different teams last year. Started off pretty bad, two and four, anemic offense, just like the two previous years. And then all of a sudden they came to life. Fortunately, that happened the week after they played us. Uh, and maybe not not so coincidentally because we had a very good defense last year. But they found themselves against Louisville and they finished the season five and two. In that process, they whipped Florida State 35 to three. And then the writing was on the wall that Jimbo may have lost the team and may be out of there. Uh, I remember watching that game. I think it might've been a Friday night game. It was like, it the was the Friday home. night. That, that's why we were looking at it. And guess what? There's another Friday night game that BC has at home against the, that's right. uh, this year. So people are saying that BC has found an offense now. Um, a lot of that because of the running back, A.J. Dillon, what he was able to do over that last seven-game stretch. It was 1,200 yards and 12 TDs in seven games, which that's amazing. Yet, they still finished 109th in yards per play. Yeah. So the idea that they found an offense, yes, they found an identity of an offense. I don't know how good that offense will be even with the the magician that is AJ Dillon. Yeah, Anthony Brown's coming back at quarterback again. Anthony was he was young. He was a freshman, was a freshman. last last year. Redshirt so freshman. yeah. I mean, let's be honest. The, the, the operating in a BC offense as a freshman must be troubling at best, uh, given you know what they have at wide receiver and what your outlets are. Uh, I think that could be a good or a bad thing. I don't think it's going to be bad for them i mean they're gonna move forward he's he's now more experienced he's got his feet underneath him um i think that aj Dillon um is going to be i mean he's ridiculous i mean he's fast he's shifty he's powerful yeah there's there's the clip of like him in the nc state player where like he like he hits his own lineman and then he like tries to skirt out and an NC State player just tries to full-on tackle him, and he picks the NC player up and launches them backwards and then just runs for a touchdown. <laughs> so, And he averaged for 180 yards a game in the last seven, like you said. And the problem is, is if he gets dinged up at all, their whole offense falls apart. It's gone. It, it, yeah. A Hillman, who... Well, you was, know why that is? Because Scott Lefter's their offensive coordinator... And he is the king of no plan B. Yeah. And Hillman would be a good plan B because we talked about Hillman in the last year. It didn't end up producing and didn't end up, but that would be somebody that you could put in. If AJ Dillon gets a little bit dinged up, they don't have anything. I think, Uh, let me say that differently. They have a couple other players that are really young that are and one of them I can't remember his name. That's about the same size and stature of AG Dillon, not nearly as fast. But if he gets dinged up at all, it's going to be it's going to be rough on the offense. Yeah, 
it's going to be rough, um, particularly if Brown can't pass any better. He was about a 50% passer last year. And again, what made him good was that he was a dual threat. He was very young and might develop along with Dylan, who was also a freshman. But I would tend to agree with you that if for some reason A.J. Dillon twisted an ankle, this offense could completely fall apart. What helps Brown out and the offense is that they're bringing back a pretty loaded wide receiving core in Michael Walker, Jeff Smith, and Kobe White. A thousand yards between them, only three touchdowns, but keep in mind they weren't passing for a lot of touchdowns last year. Tommy Sweeney and Chris Garrison are back at tight end, so that's two more pass catchers for Brown. If he could, if he could pass, like just a, at a moderate efficiency, um, they could be pretty dangerous. Like they bring back virtually the entire offense. Yeah, uh, and we already talked about how they're bringing back the entire O line. So it's they might not have a whole lot of depth, but man, this first string is pretty excellent. Yeah. And Sweeney, having those kind of big... BC has been relatively successful, not super, but at having playing tight ends the right way, and that's probably because of been limited depth over the top, and uh, long passes and wide receiver has not been a strength of theirs, so they've kind of pulled things back a little bit, but I think that's going to help him um, with some safety valves on what he needs to do in the offense as well. Um, because Sweeney was, he, I mean, he caught passes pretty well. I mean, he was efficient, I think last year Yeah, and he's coming back again this year. So, uh, the offense is, I think to your point, if you had to summarize it, the first string is rock star. If you get into the second string and you're trying to spell people, that's where you could start to get in trouble. Yeah. Let's talk about defense. They dropped to 48th in yards per play last year, down from 25th the year before and number one in 2015. Now, you'll know or you should know that Don Brown, who was the stellar defensive coordinator for them, moved on to Michigan last year, uh, and that's probably a reason for the drop. They also sustained a ton of injuries, including to star linebacker Connor Strahan, who is back. Uh At defensive end, they have Zach Allen, who was an absolute monster. I don't know if I've ever seen a defensive end who made 100 tackles in a season. That's what Zach Allen did. Not only did he have 100 tackles, he had six sacks and four pass breakups. He is so freaking good. And even though they lost Landry, they have one DT with experience. It doesn't matter. That guy single-handedly will make that line one of the better ones in the ACC. Yeah, I totally agree. And, um, yeah, in an overarching theme, the offense for BC, I'm always suspect, and even more suspect when Scott Scott Leffler's at the reins. The defense, I'm never concerned about that much. Even when they lost Brown, they are, they find uh, dudes, for lack of a better phrase, uh, they put people in there that will play hard, um, whether it's Landry or Allen or Strahan, um, they lose, uh, I guess, Ty Schwab, who was pretty good. The safeties, um, you know, they have Dennis and Willis coming back that had combined and, uh, eight interceptions. Yeah, Dennis and Harris, they're they're great safeties, man. They're it, really good. Lucas Dennis, like, blew up last year. Yeah. So, uh, you know, I have a, I have a challenge, although they're, um, they, bring, they bring a good amount back. 
I, I have a challenge being worried about BC's defense. That has been the only thing that has been steady in under Adazio has been the defense. The fluctuations have generally been around the offensive side of the ball of whether they can be even mediocre. And when they are mediocre, they're a pretty good team. Yeah. It's the same thing as with the offense and the defense is the projected starter should be very good. But again, there's a lack of depth. Yeah. They're probably a top 40 unit. Uh, like they, they, because of the injuries, they kind of dropped to just top 50, but they should be a top 40 unit on defense and maybe even top 30. It's going to be pretty good. Could the offense be better than that? Mm, probably not. No, uh, I, I don't know. They, they don't have the depth. I mean, you're going to have injuries. You're going to, like, it's going to happen. You don't know where it's going to be. But every program, even the best programs, have injuries, and you're um, it, it, there. Something bad's going to happen, and you know if you're that. Yeah, thin, because the hype is getting too much. Would you agree with that? I think, I think it is. I know it's weird I, to say BC and hype in the same sentence, but people are high on them this year. I think people have realized that Adazio has done well with not having much in a tough side of the division going up against really good talent. I mean, if you think about it, Florida State and um, Clemson were foregone losses. In some of those years, I, I think there's Louisville was a loss, just assumed. I, I, I mean, they were not... They're playing on a tough side of the division. Um, their crossover was against Virginia Tech, and that's not saying that we have been anything mind-blowing, but the last you know couple of years, that's a tough game. Yeah. And he still managed to put together relatively decent season seven and six at a BC in in where that school's appetite is for football right now and the where he's recruiting is that's impressive I'm really glad that we get this game at home let me put it that way because this team is gonna be pretty good I, I I tweeted out a couple weeks ago that I think they could start seven and0 that means they would have to win at Purdue and at NC State. But those aren't overwhelming opponents this year. That those are definitely, you know, possible wins there. Yeah, Jeff so, Brom is good, but I don't know. He's still working on that program. I yeah, think they they have a an even worse talent problem at Purdue that he's trying to overcome. So if they start off seven and zero, that that would be pretty amazing. But let's just say it's six and one or five and two, then they get Miami coming into their house on a Friday night. The game that you talked about, that one could get a little crazy. That game could be crazy. Um, Miami might come in with a little bit more energy just because people have learned what it's like to head up to Chestnut Hill on that crazy Friday night game when it's always bizarre. Um, and Clemson learned it. I think it was Clemson that had that Friday night game. Was it last time or was it? But in any case, they ran another close game against Clemson at home. People, I think, are starting yeah. to learn about what it's like to go into Chestnut Hill. It's kind of sleepy. You kind of are like, oh, yeah, we got to W this, you know, this. But they play hard. The team plays hard. So they have backloaded, I think it's Miami, Clemson, and Florida State. Um, With us in a four-week stretch. Yeah. Yeah. It's, That's brutal. It's tough. It's tough. And I do love the fact that their toughest test is the week before they play us in Miami. Yeah. And win or lose, they're going to be coming down from that. And so that works in our favor. We're geared to stop the run just based on 
our D-line and the young linebackers probably being better against the run. So stop the run. Make Brown beat us. It's going to be close, man. Probably a three-point game one way or the other. Yeah, I'm frightened. Let's move on to Pitt, and let's move quickly because this <laughs> this game, uh, I don't have high hopes for this one, uh, not in terms of a win, just in being just the worst possible thing to watch ever. Saturday, November 10th in Pittsburgh. Um, last year they were 5-7, 3-5 five and seven, three and five in conference, and their S&P rating was 82. Athlon has them at 43 coming in this year, and projected S&P is 45. Steel, power pole, 49th. So everyone here on these three projections that we're using thinks they're going to be a top 50 team when they were 82 last year and are bringing back 11 starters. Can can you help me make sense of that? <laughs> um. Well, last year they had um, also a whole bunch of, I think, uh, kind of, there were some injuries on last year that I think people are tagging it to, but no, because their offense, they had three quarterbacks that they played all three quarterbacks last year. Max yeah. Brown, who's the transfer from USC. They had Ben Danucci, and then they ended up settling on Kenny Pickett during the VT game. Um, that, you know, to, to the credit, they almost won that game, but they got stuffed they on the one yard line. Um, and then it seems like it's Kenny Pickett's now to lose with Ricky Town, who was kind of the former big time recruit. If you pay attention to recruiting, like, you know, what was it, two years ago that nobody would stop talking about how good he was going to be? Um, yeah. But it, well, it's longer ago than that because he's been to Bama, USC, Arkansas, and Juco, I think. Uh, so, so, right. so anyway. But yes, I remember the name. I'm showing my gray hair then at this point, uh, is backing him up. I, 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 they don't have any wide receivers, so I don't know really what Kenny's no. going to be throwing to. Yeah. Um, and there's probably more confidence around their running backs in terms of death and Quadri Olson, who I feel like we've also been talking about for 40 years um, in what he can do. 2015 ACC Rookie of the Year. <laughs> <laughs> um, so, And they lost a whole lot on the line. This offense might be really, really terrible. It could be terrible. And I would say at wide receiver, uh, they don't have any threats on the outside. They have a good possession guy in Rafael Raja Lopes. There's Tipton. There's for French. If you remember, you got to remember for French. Yes. Uh, but yeah, none of them are very good. Uh, like on the outside in terms of like downfield, making a play type threats. Their tight end, Chris Clark, who was that really highly touted transfer from UCLA. Uh, he he left after one season, so and his story is super bizarre. He he picked UNC in Michigan, then he played one game at UCLA, then he transferred to Pitt. Now he left Pitt after one year. Like, yeah. I, I don't know. That's they have a lot of those guys. Like you mentioned, Ricky Town, but Chris Clark. There's a couple guys on defense like that. A lot of transfers on this team. Well, Max it's, Brown. I think they have like when they three got Max, grad transfers, when they got Max the Brown from USC. It didn't make any sense either. Right. That you kind of know when a program's in trouble when they start having like half a dozen, a dozen, 18 transfers. And, and this team has a ton of them, man. Yeah. Uh, Darren Hall at running back is a bright spot. I think the reason that Steele and Athlon and Bill Connolly are a little higher on them is because they all believe in Kenny Pickett, the quarterback. 
225. He only started the two games, but he did beat number two Miami because you know what? Pitt is going to Pitt. That's that is what they're gonna do. They're gonna get somebody. They always do. They will smoke and, a national champion, and then they will lose to Youngstown State. That's all right, they do. right. That's they're gonna pit. Pit is going to pit. It's a fact of life. They didn't lose to Youngstown State. I know. But I don't want anybody. Not last like, year, they, but they, they almost <laughs> did. They almost did two years in a row. I think so. Uh, defense, eighty eighth in yards per play last year. I thought Narduzzi was supposed to be a defensive guy. I, I thought that was the idea. <laughs> yeah, that uh, yeah that that hasn't really. It's the third straight out. year of bad defense. Yeah, I mean they were extremely young last year. I mean, let's be honest, they they were really young. It was basically a you know a bevy of you know freshman, sophomore, and a few juniors that were there. Yeah, there were suspensions and stuff. Yeah, there was a lot going on. Defensive line, I think, is actually going to be. Um, Pretty deep. It was awfully young. A uh, couple freshmen, sophomore were the top five in tackles. Uh, maybe you know Rashad Weaver or you know I think Kayshawn Camp may step up. I don't know, but they were young, and it looks like this year and even next year they're they're going to actually build out some depth at at that position. The returning talent at linebacker doesn't look that bad either. I mean they. Um, you know, yeah, it's their strongest group. Yeah, so, um, I think the they lose Jordan Whitehead, who we talked about a lot, um, and we have talked about a lot in the in the backfield. Uh, Avante Maddox was probably even better last year than than Jordan Whitehead, even though he Drafted got all the hype. By the Eagles, yeah. Um, but they get almost everybody back that touched the field beyond that. So. You could see a path that, you know, it was a young group that's grown up. The question is whether it's a talented group that's kind of gotten experience yeah. now. I do think Aluwashan Adawu is is pretty talented at linebacker and Brightwell and Zeiss are back too. I like Zeiss's game. They're ninth in percent tackles returning. So you're spot on there in terms of they're bringing back basically everyone who made a tackle last year. Uh it's good linebackers, solid front seven, but I still think the D is just going to be okay. I, I don't know if they're a top half of S FBS defense. Yeah, I, I don't... Uh, D'Antonio, I don't think, would just keep Narduzzi around for the sake of it. So to we can all hate Pat Narduzzi as much as we want, and we I know we all hate him a lot because he's a, a whiner in a lot of respects, but I find it... Um, you can say what you will about D'Antonio. I think he's a good coach. I think he's a development coach, and he saw something in Narduzzi that he he liked. So I, I don't know when the switch is going to flip on this defense for Pitt because people have been talking about it year over year. Like, oh yeah, Pitt's got a good. They're going to have a good defense. Yeah. You know, they're going to have a good defense. It's not I, happening. I, it's not happening. But I do think it may not happen every year. One of these years it's going to they're going to have they're going to put together a top 30 defense or something along those lines, a top 25 defense. Um so I would just be careful for us to just assume that, you know, you know, the past history is just going to yeah. repeat itself. It, it it could all of a sudden make a leap, but Duke took an unexpected leap last year. Maybe that happens for them too. They did bring in a new defensive coordinator. Maybe he has that effect. I'll say this about their schedule. They could start out one and four. They've got Penn State, Georgia Tech, 
at UNC and at UCF to start the season. They're losing um, three out of four of those guaranteed. I will bet anybody. <laughs> and they're going to end. I already know which three because they're definitely, they'll probably beat UNC like just out of like a whim. But, uh, but it's on the road. I mean, I, I don't know. Uh, and then they have to go to Notre Dame too at some point in the year. So it, it, it's not the toughest schedule in the world, but the, the, getting to a bowl is not a given. That's for, that's for sure. We should beat this team even on the road, even in Heinz Field. Uh, no idea why Athlon has them at forty-three because I think they they could they could go four and eight easily. I agree, and I think. Um, well, I'm not going to jump the shark on it. I think if you read what um, what what Bill C and even Athlon Sports said about the ACC this year is like the band of teams is so yeah. tight. That the difference, I think, this year between a four and an eight and an eight and a four team is probably not going to be separated by much. Um, yeah. It could be a fun. We talked about it in the last podcast how many games could go either way. And with UNC, I, we already talked about it, Georgia Tech. So, yeah, it's we're and we're in that band, yeah. <laughs> no doubt. Oh, yeah, uh, absolutely. The big one, the late in the season game against Miami. In Blacksburg, Saturday, November 17th. Man, I'm excited for this. Me and you are going together. We just firmed up our plans last week for this one. I can't wait, man. That's right. We're uh we're in we're in my new seats. So I'm excited. I'm pumped. <laughs> last year Miami was 10 and 3, 7 and 1 in the ACC, and 17th in the final SP Plus rating. They finished 13th in the AP poll. This year, Athlon has them at sixth coming into the season. Phil Steele has, has them at 7th in his preseason poll. And the projected S&P Plus is 13th, so a little bit lower there. Phil Steele's ex- experience rank at 49th, so in the top half of FBS. They're projected to win the Coastal, obviously. But I think there's just a ray of hope that maybe the Miami program under Mark Rick peaked a little last year in that particularly in the Notre Dame game. There was turnover chain mania, all this crap. They, they they had us down in their house. They had Notre Dame down in their house. They kicked the crap out of both of us. And then they ended up losing the last three games of the season. Now, two of those games were against very good teams, but they did lose at Pitt, a very not good Pitt team who didn't even make a bowl. So did Clemson, Could so did Clemson that ended up winning national championship. Uh, that so- Pitt team had James Conner. <laughs> I'm just saying that you you brought it up yourself. Pitt has a chance always tries to play spoiler I know, I know. every year and they've done it very successfully in these random games. All joking aside, Mark Rick has done a good job at Miami so far. I'm wondering if if they can take that next step this year because this team is super talented. Maybe the quarterback position holds them back though. Yeah, with Malik Rosier He's he was a tale of two seasons last year. Resilient for the first nine games and absolutely dreadful during the last three games. And the stats were outrageous. Um, I there's going to be a lot of expectation for them this year. I mean, they're projected to. Bill C has him uh, or has them uh, favored in all twelve games. Every game they're favored. 
that's partially because of the schedule. They do get a lighter year this year, which is which is good for for them. Uh, but the last year, the wheels started to come. They kind of held them on after Mark Walton went out after Game Four. It's like they had they had like four or five more games. The hype was going. The turnover chain was going. And then it kind of settled in that Travis Homer was not as good as Mark Walton because Mark Walton was exceptional and he was he was off the lineup. And they had a couple other injuries as well. That was not um, helpful to the program. But Malik Rozier is going to decide whether this is his play alone, I think, because there's so much talent. The recruiting has been off the charts. He What he yeah. does this year is going to decide whether this team um, wins the ACC championship or does more. Because at minimum, with the amount of talent that they have on there, I would see it as a, a team that should be making the ACC championship, especially in Virginia Tech and a down year. Yeah, and the talent is young because... <laughs> As you mentioned, the recruiting has been so crazy. I'm looking at the offense and just at running back, they've got a five-star freshman in Lorenzo Lingard who could end up playing a lot of valuable snaps. They got a blue chip in Pope at wide receiver who might end up playing a lot of valuable snaps at defensive tackle. Same thing. There's a lot of these you know, high-end recruits that could have an immediate impact on an already pretty loaded team. Uh one thing they did deal with on offense last year was injuries, like you said, to Walton. And Amon Richards, he didn't play in what? Uh, he missed eight games, and he still had 439 yards yep. and an 18.3 average. That's right. Like, he is a downfield threat and a, a killer when he's healthy. I'm really glad Braxton Berrios is gone. Yeah, uh, It'll make it a little tougher for Malik Rogier because he was definitely his safety blanket. Oh yeah, he's a slot receiver that put up like a ton of yards. It was incredible. I'm wondering if if Rozier gets off to a rough start, would would he get the quick hook? He's such a polarizing player among their fan base, among pundits. It's for a guy who broke the school record for touchdowns. He had 31 total touchdowns last year. Good dual threat guy. So many people want him to never start again. It's crazy. That's because the old Miami's back. Where and it rightfully so, right? They're recruiting. They're recruiting the way that Ohio State. There, people are saying, "Hey, should the new freshman be starting quarterback?" And you're like, "Wait, what? What are you talking about?" And people are still like, kind of rumor mongering about like who's going to be going in there. When you're recruiting at that level and you're bringing in that kind of talent. It just leads people to start questioning, you know, those types of decisions. There's there's no way after what he did, the last three games were bad. I get it. But you just added a ton of four and five star talent to this team that he's yeah. gonna be able to to pass to. And quite frankly, he didn't have that much to pass to last year. It wasn't that now deep. with Richards being hurt. I mean he had Barrios, but you're right, like there's there wasn't a ton there. Yeah, it was Jeff Thomas was uh, was in there, um, and, that, and, and he that was, was a freshman, and he was a freshman. Yeah, so um, he could be. I, I, listen, I I don't want to comment. He on, could take a step forward. Exactly, he could yeah. with, with a healthy Richards, with Thomas and Cager and Pope, the the new you know mm-hmm. high end recruit. It's possible they did lose Herndon and Noku at tight end. 
Uh, but a five-star tight end just magically appeared in Brevin Jordan, who could end up playing a Tommen. So, again, this this recruiting that they're doing is, is going to have an effect. Where they don't have an incoming five-star recruit is offensive line. That unit, they're bringing back three starters, but it is average. And he was sacked, what is it, 27 times last year. They were 75th in sacks allowed per game. It's it's an average, average, average unit on a, at the offensive line that could hold the production back a little bit. And one of their starters, I think, was that they lost was one of their better ones. I think it was like an all ACC honorable mention or something along those lines. So one of the two starters that they just lost was, I think, one of the best ones on their offensive line. So that isn't um, that's not going to be shored up this year, I don't think, and they're going to have to work around that. The defense was sensational last year, in, and we've already mentioned the turnover chain, but that was a huge part of it. 31 takeaways. It was third nationally last year. They were number one in sacks per game, fourth in TFL, 12th in yards per play. This team, like they created a ton of havoc, and it, it made it impossible for, for defenses for or for offenses for a while last season. Now, I think Clemson and Wisconsin were able to overwhelm them, and Rozier's play as it deteriorated the uh, the defense. You know they they couldn't have had as much of an effect because Rozier kept turning the ball over via the interception. But there was a lot of talent on the defensive line that has walked out the door. They're solid, I think, in the back seven to actually very solid with Quarterman and Pickney at linebacker as well as Zach McLeod. Those guys have now been playing together for three years. Jaquan Johnson at safety, Redwine at safety, Michael Jackson at corner. We, we've we heard these names. These guys were intercepting the ball a ton, forcing fumbles. But the fact that the defensive line coach left for Bama and Ken Norton, R.J. McIntosh, Chad Thomas, and Trent Harris all walked out the door, it's, it's going to be a little bit of a different defense. I don't think they'll be as good as they were last year, but they'll still be pretty good. Yeah, I mean, they're past – defense is going to be still going to be ridiculous. I mean, let's be honest. Their run D is going to take a step back. You can't lose four out of your six most productive, two of them declaring for the draft early um, at, at on the line. They're going to take a step back there, I think. But the backfield, I think, will be able to hold it together. So if um, – which uh, to tie it into Virginia Tech and what this game can mean depends on what we can – pull together for a run game right <laughs> i mean and yeah and it does um and our offensive line uh, for that matter so it's very relevant for a team that's this talented that is people are ranking this high for the season and have this much expectation that what what we can put out on the field because they're losing a ton of disruption up front and they're left with very little in terms of playing experience, but their backfield is ridiculous. I mean, even Cloud, we've been talking about Red Wine, we've been talking about Michael Jackson, we've been talking about um, since his death. Um, but I mean, <laughs> the uh, they've been very, very strong in the backfield. Obviously, yeah, it's the best team on our schedule, other than Notre Dame. Uh, maybe they're better than Notre Dame. That that remains to be seen. 
but they lack depth. I, I felt like Notre Dame was a little bit deeper on their defense than Miami was. Yeah. So an injury or two to a linebacker or a safety, that could really derail their title chances. Now, I still think they stand a great chance to win the Coastal. Uh, but beating Clemson, I think they're going to all have to stay healthy and all like really like everything's going to have to go Miami's way to beat Clemson this year. Clemson is in another level right now. Like they, 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 they have the potential to just be an historically good team. Yeah. Um, and Alabama, same thing. So to, to overthrow Clemson, they need everything to go right. And an injury or two could, could change that. But as for when they play us, we're going to really need, a couple of our corners to have stepped up and a couple of our wide receivers to have stepped up at this point because they are – I don't know how to attack this team. I mean, the run game, yes, that that would be optimal, but that's not been our strong suit uh, unless you're talking about some some QB draws and, and Josh hasn't shown Gerard Evans' level of efficiency at that yeah. quite yet. So – we, we're going to need some some skill talent, whether it's on offense or defense, to step up because we either need to hold them to a very low amount of points, or we're going to have to throw up some points. I don't, I don't know, man. It could be a low scoring game in general. Yeah, it's the most dangerous part of this team is what's happening and what's the development look like for the four and five stars that are already in the program that we haven't seen on the field and that are coming in that could start day one because. Um, that they're recruiting even more than what they have on the field right now. The level that they're recruiting is at the highest level in the country, um, quite frankly. So there are, that is the unknown is even more frightening to me than the known. Like I know what they put on the field last year. I saw it. Um, It was talented, but the up and comers are even more frightening. Do you think we can win this game? I mean, I, I mean, it's possible. I just in lane. It's yeah, it's absolutely. so far away. We just don't. You know, they could have pulled Rozier in game two, and had a completely different quarterback and a completely different offense for you know the, the previous ten games leading up to this. I think the way the schedule sets up is nice for us. They play Georgia Tech the week before they play us, Duke the week before that, and they have to go. What is it? Two BC the week before that. It's a lot of travel. It's a, it's a bunch of away games like in close proximity. So anything to where that they could this could be a good spot for us to take them down. Yeah. I mean, it's the second last game of the season, so we have time to develop talent throughout the year. Um, can we win this game? Yes. Should we win this game? No. Just being <laughs> on just, paper right now, no, yeah. Yeah, I mean, we should not win this game. And if we do, then that should be Hokey fans should be excited. We should not. We should not win this game, um, given everything that's happened. Um, and BC shouldn't have beat Florida State last year either. You know that that's that's, that's why it's why they play the games. You know, you never know what's going to happen. That's right. Let's take a quick beer break before we do UVA. Robbie, what are you drinking? So I'm having the Free Flow IPA can Otter Creek Brewing from Vermont. Delicious IPA. Uh, yeah, I actually can't say enough. It's actually really, really solidly balanced. It's not too hoppy, not too fruity, um, and not too much mold on the back end. It's kind of just a, it's almost a nice summer beer for the, I think this just recently came out, and uh, I like it a lot. It's the Free Flow, 
free flow from Otter Creek. I'm drinking the Vopulin from Sly Fox. That's really hard to say. The Vopulin IPA. This is one of their newer ones they just put out for this summer. Uh, it's it's a very light IPA. Sly Fox is from Pennsylvania. It's six percent alcohol, and I like it a lot, man. It's it's really easy drinking. I've said many times on the podcast, my wheelhouse for IPAs is you know six to seven percent, and both the ones I had tonight are in there. And most of the beers that Sly Fox puts out, I really really like. This one is no exception. I love it, man. The Vupulin IPA from Sly Fox. I would recommend it. And our last game, Virginia, on Black Friday, November 23rd. Last year, Virginia went 6-7. and seven. They actually made a bowl and then lost it embarrassingly. And they were 3-5 and five in the ACC. The S&P Plus rating at the end of the year was 85th. And coming into this year, Athlon has them just a little bit higher at 81st and last in the division. The projected S&P is 73rd, but Phil Steele has them 90th in their power poll, the lowest of of anywhere that I've seen. And, and I he thinks they'll suck, and I love it. <laughs> Let me put it that way. He also has them at 112th in returning experience and 101st in O-line starts. So those are, are two nice things. This has been an interesting offseason for UVA because some people have been saying, you know, they're going to finally have like a football team after, you know, making a bowl last year. And Bronco's been in the news a few times, you know, talking about how many ACC players they actually have on their roster and all the beat tech stuff, which I have found interesting. They're putting a big emphasis on beating us which I think might be a good place to start for them. Yeah, they so last year they started off on a positive note. Granted, the the competition, other than the Boise State win, which is still mind-blowing to me that they won that game, but 5-1, and one, then they finished 1-6. Um, so <laughs> yeah. once they hit it the... went downhill. Once they hit the meat of ACC play... Um, and I think even worse, they averaged 13 points in the last six games. Like, that that's a really hard to do because, I mean, just accidental touchdown and two field goals and you're off to the races. You've got 13 right there. Right. And um, so it would be difficult. And interestingly, I wrote this portion of it before I got into the offense. It would be difficult for them to be that bad again this season. Never mind how the spanking they got from Navy and 49-7 loss that you just mentioned. But um, there's a chance that they could be equally as bad on offense. Uh, I think uh, even as recently as today, Deadspin put out an article that was like, yeah, UVA might have a football team this year. So there's, there's a lot more that they have to overcome in order to put together said football team. Yeah, and and maybe it's similar to Fuente in that it's like, oh, it's year th- three of Bronco. Obviously, he's got the ball rolling in the right direction. They unexpectedly won six games. But then you look at what they're bringing back, and it's not that much. And last year, Kurt Benkert, while not a perfect quarterback, he had moments of brilliance, <laughs> one of which was the Boise State game one of which was the first half against Miami. He could really pass the football 
for short snippets of time. He had like 26 passing touchdowns, but he's not there anymore. And they've got an unknown in Bryce Perkins, who's a Juco guy, initially an Arizona State guy, and dual threat, can run. I watched his tape a little bit. He's got a, a good arm. He's fast. He's athletic. But will he learn the offense? Will he look that athletic when he's not playing against JUCO guys? I don't know. It's it's a it's a big unknown because the rest of the offense, there are some names we recognize, like Olamide Zacchaeus, um, you know, a, a, a short slot receiver who made eighty five catches. Evan Butts, the tight end. Jordan Ellis had an okay year running the football. He didn't hit a thousand yards nothing's jumping off the page about this offense. So if they do have a decent team, you're putting a lot on this Juco quarterback. And on Ellis, for that matter, because he was averaging 3.89 a carry. So to get that 800 yards, he basically took every carry that existed in UVA football (laughs) to to get there. Um, And then maybe a couple others. So that, that kind of, leans me back to what you said, which I think it's going to be Bryce Perkins because he's more mobile. He's, you know, he can actually uh, do something. They have the sophomore Lindell Stone, who's probably not going to get it. It's going to be the Juco transfer because they need something to take the pressure off of Jordan Ellis and what he was having. I mean, 800 yards is pretty good on the season, but not when you have to, you know, I mean, you're you're that's you're getting into injury prone areas when you're running the ball that many times for an offense that of this caliber, and with the fact that almost nobody else carried the ball for for UVA. Right. I already mentioned the O line, 101st. It's going to be a pretty bad group. There's only two starters back. They added a few transfers, but that's going to take time to gel. Overall, I think this offense is going to be pretty disappointing yet again if Perkins is a killer runner they could be okay but they have zero depth like at like zero zero depth yeah. on this offense on this team really and so let's move into the defense because if it was one thing about UVA the last few years it was that Mike London's recruits those high-end recruits that he was getting were still there Last year, we saw Smoke Mizzle leave. We didn't have to deal with him anymore. And this year, we don't have to deal with Andrew Brown, Quinn Blanding, and most notably, Micah Kaiser. Those were three, honestly, like three stars on their defense. They, Particularly Kaiser. 282 tackles between Kaiser and Blanding last year. Like... I looked at the amounts of tackles that this team made. First of all, were they only playing defense? <laughs> I mean, the the offense was never on the field because three guys had over 100 tackles yeah. and two of them had over 130. I know. It's incredible. And to lose those three, I, I was surprised how bullish people were on UVA this year in terms of even their defense. I mean, you those are not... Those are three people that Virginia Tech recruited heavily. Like we wanted Blandick, we wanted Brown. we knew how good those were going to be. Like really, and remember how we were pissed when we you know, didn't yeah. get them. I mean, those were um, top recruits. Granted, Blanding fell down a little bit when it came to the NFL draft, but the point being that those were like really solid players. You can't just like toss those three out and be like, hey. 
we have some depth, we're going to be a great defense this year or even right. halfway decent. That That's that's the thing, is that, yeah, they're bringing back an okay group at linebacker with Chris Peace and Jordan Mack. They've got Juan Thornhill in the back and ACC Defensive Rookie of the Year, Brent Nelson at strong safety. But it's it's like Derwin James at Florida State. There are some players who are so good that when you take them out, I don't care if you're putting a four-star in behind them, that player is very, very hard to replace. Not only their production, but the way they conduct the defense. And that's how I feel about Kaiser in particular. And and Blanding. And Blanding. I mean, he controlled that backfield. Well, he controlled top-notch players like pretty, pretty well. So the two of them losing them together, I mean, that is a one-two punch, a big one-two punch. So I, I guess what I'm hearing from you is that neither of us, neither of us want to want to hear this. You know, UVA has a team this year. Like this team is fine. It's it's a respectable football team, maybe if this JUCO transfer works out at quarterback. But it's it's by no means a good football team. Now, if they when it, we now we take it full circle in terms of us versus you know them. If they were to pull something out here, that's an emotional win. I don't think it's a talent-driven or a coaching-driven win, right? Like It's just an emotional rivalry game. They're focused on it. It's important to them. Um, I I still think that we, we're going to have, especially with Josh Jackson coming back, uh, I think we're going to have a more talented team on the field um, at, at most positions. So... If we did lose, it's one of those. It chalk it up to yeah. chalk it up, you know, throw the records out the window type uh, to you know solid verbal type situation. Yeah, and I said it with Georgia Tech too. I said law of averages says we'll beat Georgia Tech, and that's only after two years of losing to them. <laughs> law of 14. averages says they they should get it after fourteen years straight of us beating them. But uh, we're a better football team than them. Keep in mind, this isn't till Thanksgiving, so there's a, there's a long way to go, but we should win, and and we're at home, and it's a night game. Uh, we we should win this game. I, at least I think it will be at night yet again. Uh, usually is at night when it's on Black Friday. Uh, I'm hoping to make it 15 in a row. <laughs> UVA, if they go to a bowl, it's only because their out of conference schedule is a freaking joke. <laughs> they play Richmond Liberty who just, just, just came up to FBS at Indiana, who's supposed to be one of the worst teams in the Big Ten, and then Ohio. Not Ohio State, Ohio. So that is probably the worst out-of-conference schedule I've seen of, of any team. And uh, they so, may yeah, they lose to, to Richmond. Bowl. Richmond's a good team. But they may lose yeah. to them. Richmond's <laughs> true. I mean, they've lost to them before yeah. and, not, and not, not too far in the past. All right. Are we... Uh, are we done with the previews? We hit all I of them. I think that's it. 12 teams. <laughs> 12 teams. Do you want to save our record predictions for the next podcast? I think, like you were talking about earlier, we got a little bit of a twist on it we're going to do for our season preview when we go over the games and how we feel about them. I think so. I've been so in the numbers with the names and who the players are that sometimes I just need to take a step back and look at what the atmosphere is, home or away, what we're coming off of, what date it is, whether we're on a buy, they're on a buy, and that yeah. that's a different analysis for me. So I'd love to do it for the next oh, one. Oh, let me mention this about UVA. Uh, 
we also play them the week after they play GT. So I said that about Miami, but we also get UVA after Georgia Tech as well. So that can't be bad. You always love a good body blow. Yeah, you got to love the body blow theory. Coming off of the, the triple option and uh, and chop blocking. I won't call it cut blocking because it's just chop blocking. <laughs> yeah. um, that's what I'll go with. All right, then. So the season preview will be in mid-August. Hopefully we'll be coming back in between them like with a with a guest or just some other podcast between then and now um you know to kill some time before uh for the season starts because we're in it man we're we're all the way in on college football now we've got a lot of thoughts (laughs) (laughs) not all of them are good or or quality opinions but we're still going to put them in a podcast and bring them to you over the next couple weeks so keep refreshing your feeds thank you to everyone who rated us this past week i think we got Three new reviews and four or five new ratings. Uh, very much appreciated. Uh, make sure to hit us, 2DVT at gmail.com if you want to email us anything. And it's 2DVT on Twitter. Uh, we appreciate any interaction that uh, that we get on there. And we've been seeing a lot of retweets and favorites. And it's it's very much appreciated from all of you for the uh, for the attention you're putting on the podcast. Everyone is ready, Robbie. I, I think that's what I can tell is everyone is ready for football season. We can tell by just just what's going on on Twitter and our downloads and that kind of thing. It's it's pretty cool. It's ramping up quick, and I'm excited. And until next time, go Hokies. <laughs>